I, uh, you know, I want to I want to talk a little bit about the Ten Commandments. They're not, they're kind of tangentially mentioned in our readings today. When our letter from James, he mentions about the laws, and he, he holds up the uh, uh, the seventh, and I can't remember the other one, the fifth commandment, um, and. We don't talk a lot about the Ten Commandments here necessarily, but I think the Ten Commandments are, um, they're important for us, but maybe not in the way that we always think. If we look at the Ten Commandments, we know that they are divided into two sections. The first four are all about our relationship with God. You know, don't make idols, keep the Sabbath holy, don't take the Lord's name in vain, those kind of things. And then the second half, the bottom six, uh, four through ten, five through ten, are about our relationship in community with other people. Don't steal, don't murder, don't tell lies about other people. And the one I'm particularly interested in is the Tenth Commandment. Quick, anyone know what it is? Coveting, Coveting that's right. Don't, don't covet. And especially don't covet your neighbor's donkey or his wife. <laughs> I don't know why wives and donkeys are A, together, and separated out, especially from all the other goods. But that's, that's what it says. And as sort of an aside, that also tells us that the Ten Commandments were written uh, with, from a bias that didn't include women. They, they don't apply to women, so you're free. Um, <laughs> because clearly women don't have wives in the ancient world, right? Nowadays they do, and we welcome that. But in, the, in this time, that's, a, that's sort of a prejudice of the author. But we know, of course, that God's desire is that all people be included in the people of God. We see that in this gospel reading today where Jesus is, is he's hiding out. Uh, John the Baptist has just been arrested. Jesus is feeling the heat a little bit. And so they decide to take a break at the seaside. Uh, Tyre is a, is a city on the, on the Mediterranean coast. It's, it's still there. It's in Lebanon. And so Jesus has decided to take a beach holiday because things are getting a little hot at home. And he wants to kind of be on the download. Doesn't want anybody to know he's there, but you know, he's Jesus, and somehow word of his presence is somehow just felt or known. And, and so this woman comes to him. And the one thing we know about this woman, well, the two things, she has a daughter and she's a Gentile. She's not one of Jesus' people. And in fact, when she comes to Jesus and says, My daughter has an unclean spirit, can you heal her? Jesus says something that seems kind of not very Jesus-like to us. He says, I, I can't help you. You're not one of my people. I'm here to help my people, not you. But she sort of very cleverly reminds him that, that in using the words he said, that even the dogs eat the crumbs under the table. And it's important that Jesus responds to her and heals, but what's even more important is where does Jesus go immediately afterwards? It says he goes through Sidon by the Sea of Galilee to the Decapolis. Now, you may not be totally up to speed on your first century uh, uh, politics, but the Decapolis is a group of ten cities, Decapolis, east of the Sea of Galilee, where no Jews live. It is a place of only Gentiles, Greek-speaking Gentiles. And so it's important for us that, that in this woman who comes to Jesus, it's like a message from the Holy Spirit 
reminding him that God's love has no boundaries, that everyone is included in God's circle, in God's people. And so Jesus goes immediately to a place where there are people not like him, and he does this amazing miracle with the, with the deaf and mute man. So we know that what God wants of us is, is inclusion of all people, that there are no boundaries to God's love. But, you know, with this coveting thing, I, I, I often wondered why that was in the top ten. Right? I mean, there are some pretty good, murdering, stealing, there are some good ones up there. But coveting, that, that didn't seem like, is it really worth being in the top ten? Because I can think of some really terrible things that people do that maybe should be on that list, but aren't. But coveting is there. And I often wondered about that until I had children. And I could see what a pernicious influence coveting is. I have two children. They're five years apart. One's a boy, one's a girl. And whatever one gets, the other one wants. And it doesn't matter what it is. My daughter wanted to dye her hair dark, dark, dark blue for the first day of school. My son wanted to dye his hair dark, dark blue as well because she got to dye her hair. Why don't I get to dye my hair? And it goes from things that aren't appropriate to the other to things that, you know, like we try to make them share. They're not really good at sharing. I, I think that's just a basic human trait. We're not really very good at sharing. We have to kind of learn that. But I came to see that this idea that we want what everyone else has and not thinking about what's good for us or appropriate for us or even helpful or needful for us, but just wanting because they have is actually probably worthy of its top 10 spot. Because I think that in a lot of ways, coveting is at the root of a lot of what's wrong in the world. That, that the desire to want what we don't even need is something that, that actually preys on us and brings us to do things that, that aren't really very helpful for the world. Now, we just had a rummage sale a while back and there were lots of people, thankfully, who were like, I have too much stuff, I need to get rid of it. But of course, all we're really doing is transferring the stuff we don't need to somebody else who doesn't need it so that next year they can bring it into the rummage sale. <laughs> it's kind of like fruitcake. There's only one fruitcake in the whole world and we just keep passing it around amongst people. <laughs> So the truth is, we have way too much stuff. We have more things than we need. I have a basement full of stuff that I swear I'm going to get to. I've got a bunch of clothes that one day I'm going to lose enough weight I can wear those pants again. I'm going to take up that hobby one more time, I promise. But we acquire all these things. And when we acquire all these things and we're worried about it, I think what the thing that we lose sight of, the thing that makes us worthy of the Ten Commandments, is that... It blinds us to our appropriate relationship to God. Because if we think about it, God is the source of everything. The food we eat, the air we breathe, the water we need, the, the people we know and depend on, the land on which we sit, the wood that builds our everything. There's, there's nothing you can imagine materially that doesn't have its source in God. And when we're so focused on gathering things to ourselves and what we want and what we need, we, we forget, I think, that, 
none of it's really ours. It all comes from God and God has provided in abundance but if we're, we're taking things we don't need and we're just coveting things because someone else has it, we, we are betraying that abundance. We're taking advantage of it and we get to a situation like we have now where there are so many people who have not enough and a few people who have so much they could possibly never get through it all. You know, if you had a billion dollars, you could spend like a thousand dollars an hour every day for a hundred years and never run out of money. And yet we have so many billionaires. At the same time, there are people who don't have money for medicine. And that doesn't seem right to me. And it doesn't seem in accord with what God would want. And so this coveting, I think, gets in the way of our seeing our appropriate relationship to God and understanding where we are in relationship to the things that God provides for us in abundance. And I think that when we are covetous, covetous, yeah, um, it prevents us from being grateful. Because the beginning of Christianity, I think, the beginning of understanding our, our true relationship with God, the first step on our walk with Christ is to inculcate gratitude. That even when we are, are suffering and we have difficulties, there are things to be thankful for. That God does provide our needs even if we are blind to God's providence sometimes. And so today, we are gathering in those little UTO boxes. For those who've been here um, all through the summer, we've been having these little blue, they're a small version of this big blue box. And, and I love the UTO because it's a ministry aimed completely at inculcating gratitude. And, and basically, you know, over the summer, hopefully those who've been able to take home those little blue boxes and have remembered, have, have taken time every day or once a week or, or whenever to think of the things, the small blessings that God brings to us and to put a, a small token of our remembrance of that thankfulness. A, a coin, a, you know, a penny or a nickel or a dime or a quarter. You know, I mean, that's the whole idea. If you stuffed it full of $100 bills, that's awesome. But probably you just put coins in. And, and I love that because it's a great model for how Christian faith works. Because each of us have been given gifts, blessings in our lives, and they're probably small. Most of us aren't called to be martyrs or, or bishops or, or anything significant, you know, reformers of the church. We're called to, to do our little bit, to, to plow our little field, to do the small works and gifts that we have been given. But when we take all of those little gifts, they add up to something amazing. Because with the UTO, people all across the Episcopal Church in 14 different countries have been putting their coins in those little boxes. And every year they do this and they collect all those little boxes and, and each of our small individual tokens of thankfulness go into those little boxes and we put them together and they turn into millions and millions of dollars. And for each of us individually, we can take our box and we can, we can hear and feel the tangibleness of God's love for us. But collectively, why, 
this is becoming a pretty heavy box. This is just one small community. But when we bring our gifts together, we can transform the world. And this is such a great illustration of that because our individual nickels and dimes and quarters turn into huge sums of money that are 100% deployed to make the world better, to, to look and serve those in need, especially women and children. That's the focus of the ministry of the United Thank Offering. And so our, our thankfulness and those coins becomes an outward invisible sign of an inner and spiritual grace. Those, those UTO boxes are a kind of sacrament to show God at work in the world in a tangible and real way that we can look at and say, that's God. And so gratitude is at the heart, I think, of Christian faith. Because if we don't start with gratitude, then we begin with a false understanding of our relationship to God and our place in the world. That we are here to give, to serve, to take from the abundance that God has given us as our responsibility and to share it out with the whole world so that no one has to be in need, that no one needs suffer. And that each of us, through our small contributions, through the gifts that we bring to, to the church and to Christ, we transform the world and make it more like the kingdom of God.